Welcome to Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And welcome to episode 89. And today we're going to talk about Ravi Zacharias and that heartbreaking story. It is truly heartbreaking to the two of us. And we're going to talk on a broader level about um, is everybody living a double life? Is is change really possible Mm -hmm. or are we all hiding something? Yeah, it's not a... This isn't a shoot bullets at Ravi. Right, and it's not fun necessarily to talk about, but uh, we have these questions. We figure you might have these questions. Yeah, and we've been in a conversation for a while about life transformation. Can people really change? If so, why don't more people change? Mm -hmm. And uh, so we're going to talk, we're going to get under the hood there. Yeah. Uh, But first, it's uh, story time, John, and, and it's your week. It is, and I can't for the life of me remember... If I've told this one yet, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and tell it. And if I have, it's been a while. So maybe you've forgotten too. You know, you've probably told 40 stories now. You did tell a joke. So yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> we lose track. But hey, write us hate mail if we tell you the same story a second yeah. time. We'll take hate We're mail trying over, really hard not to. We'll take hate mail over no mail, actually. So, <laughs> um, so this, uh, I was a junior at Northwest. It was actually the summer between my sophomore and junior years, I believe. And uh, I needed a science credit. I believe it was between your junior and senior years. You think so? Yeah, because um, you were really thick into Lindsay at this point, And I don't think you were. No, I remember it was. Yeah, it was because uh, I was really into Lindsay. And it was very early in the relationship. I remember this. Oh, okay. Because I was like classic me going, uh, going. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you'd call it. Anyway. So, so it was sophomore, junior, sophomore, junior. So okay. me and Lindsay have been dating at this point for, let's see. Not long. Not I remember long. being surprised you wanted to take this outdoor class, get four science credits in two weeks, camp for a week at Mount St. Helens with some chick. And it was all about the chick. You it said was it not, wasn't, no, but it no. was all about well, the chick. Well, let me, so I'll set the table. So I need my <laughs> science credit. I'm a, I'm a humanities major. I don't want to touch science with a stick. Mm-hmm. Although in high school, I did really well in science. It's better than most of my other classes, which is weird. I don't particularly enjoy it. I had some really good teachers. Anyway, I wasn't looking forward to taking a college-level science science course. My math course I had taken and already knocked out by, before I got to Northwest at uh, South Beach Sound Community College. I took Math for Liberal Arts was the class. Nice. Also called Math in Society. Oh, wow. And my teacher How there. How balance a checkbook? Not even. Way less helpful <laughs> than that. <laughs> my teacher there, that's almost another story. She just used it to teach whatever she found interesting. She oh. loved math, huge math nerd. She was really nice. Yeah. And so we learned a lot of fractals because she oh. loves fractals. Fractals are cool. It was really, yeah, it was neat, but not at all um, yeah. helpful. Anyway, so this class is a, uh, a, mm, What's the word I'm looking for? It's basically earth science. It's a it's um, biology, I guess, but specifically na- uh, nature, yeah, ecosystems, and uh, so it involves two weeks: one week in the classroom, one week in a camping trip at Mount St. Helens, and you get four science credits out of it for two weeks. For two weeks, so this was you a no brainer. You didn't have to turn in a paper there at the end after the two weeks. It was an assignment, but the assignment was due um, not on the camping trip. It basically the weekend after. Yeah. So so you might argue that it was three weeks long just to give the college some 
sense of credibility here. I'm. It was probably three weeks, counting the week you had to write the project. I'm saying this was not a vacation. This is not shade at Northwest. <laughs> it was a great opportunity for a guy who didn't want to do science yes, it to was. do science. Uh-huh. And I learned a lot. Okay. And so you're calling it legitimate. It is legitimate. I, I, I could argue, but l- that's not the point of the story. Point being, Lindsay was already going to go on this trip because mm-hmm. she was a natural science Which is major. why it was all about the chick. And two of my best buddies from the dorms were going on the trip, too. <laughs> I told them about it. One of them was already going. The other I recruited. Mm-hmm. And so it was me and my two good buddies in a tent. And my girlfriend in another tent. Well, of course, and, of course. A, yeah, don't you know? Got to clear it up. Everyone's thinking it. Are they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a week. I think at three different campsites, maybe four, around the mountain. So we right. would uh, camp, hike around, and then uh, camp again, and then eventually we would drive to another camp, hike around there. So around the entire mountain, uh, it was amazing. It was in June, but it was freaking hot it was it was oh wow too that's warm. unusual yeah yeah it was uh um, lots of bugs and uh hiking is not necessarily what i was born to do mm-hmm. although this is my second <laughs> hiking story that i've told recently with a yeah the people might get one. the illusion that you're actually an outdoorsman i know and i heard recently that guys who drive tacomas want to look outdoorsy oh i hadn't considered that but it makes it makes a little bit of sense uh anyway it was amazing the uh Basically, we went there to learn after the eruption, they thought there's nothing going to grow within a mile of this mountain for 40 years. Right. And it came back within 10, basically. Oh, it, it was, faster than that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it started coming back faster than that, but then it was really fully flush. Yeah. Yeah. And there's still it's still recovering because it was an insane explosion. But very, very quickly, life came back and um, we learned why that was. Uh, there was one specific type of plant that survived and one specific little type of mouse that survived and the mouse which ate those seeds because they were burrowing mouse mice uh ate those seeds and spread them then one other species of flower which were attracted to those flowers grew up and it just kind of blew up from there wow just from one kind of mouse and one kind of little flower so mouse poop exactly yeah probably right yeah i guess so and i wish i could remember most of the specific information is already out of my head but the species of the of the flower and stuff. We went to well, big fun part of the story was we went to the ape caves. Oh yeah. Which are famous down there. Uh, it's basically just lahar, not lahar. Uh, that's something else. Magma uh, tubes from, from the mountain uh, underneath the ground where forever ago, not at the point of this eruption, like, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, uh, lava had come down these tubes, uh, burrowed out big tunnels and then solidified. So you have this really, really solid, hard uh, exterior of rock uh, that just burrowed through the earth. And you can hike those things for miles and miles. That's pretty cool. And it's really cold down there. Um, sometimes people can get You don't have to crawl. You do. A, so sometimes there's rock buildup in the tunnel mm-hmm. where it gets kind of close to the ceiling. So it's like, you know, you got about five foot clearance. It's not crawl, but you're closer. Yeah. The rest, you're in a big tunnel, man, like really big. And there's some instances where there was a little waterfall, lava fall. That's hardened, so you have to like climb up like a good five foot. Now, why are they called ape caves? Uh, I wondered that. I think it was so it was discovered by a Boy Scout troop back in a long time, you know, a couple decades ago, probably like fifty years ago. And uh, I wonder if they named it that because they were having fun out up in the mountains. They thought there were apes in there or something. I honestly don't know. That could be wildly wrong, but I do know the Boy Scouts discovered it, and I just assumed that's why. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the story. It was wonderful. And if you live in the area, it's not that far of a drive. The Ape Caves, you can do, they have like tours and stuff you can do. Oh, really? You can rent them, you know, you get a headlamp. Um, It was great. Highly recommended. That's awesome.
All right, John, set us up uh, for the conversation. Man, I almost tricked myself into having a good time there. (laughs) I'm not looking forward to this, Uh, but it is so important, and I have a lot of questions about it. Yeah. Um, So to set us up, yeah, frame frame Ravi for people who might not be familiar with him. Yeah. And so give your before and after understanding. So uh, Ravi Zacharias, he is the um, the namesake of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, mm-hmm. and uh, primarily an apologist mm-hmm. would probably be apologetics. Yeah, so he goes around um, speaking at places, a lot of schools, a lot of colleges, lots of universities, uh, some debates, um, and a really, really, really good, um, succinct speaker. Very, very talented. Speaker. Very smart. Very mm-hmm. smart. And one of the things I loved about him. Uh, he has since passed away. Uh, one of the things I loved about him is that he was so much dignified and polite. Mm-hmm. He he never was a name caller or a, de- a hostile debater. He gave he gave due respect to everybody's opinions and get right to the core of um, the some of the most powerful parts of our faith. He could he could get you there very very quickly. Yeah, um, and yeah, very humble, seemingly really really solid character. Um, uh, and, Billy Graham esque in yeah. terms of what you would have thought. Uh huh. And uh, he so and he passed of natural causes, some kind of uh, uh, cancer, I believe. Um, I don't think cancer is natural causes, but that's I mean, he, splitting hairs. I think it is. Uh, no, I think if you die of natural causes, your body just stops functioning. It's not uh, cancer is not a natural heart cause. attack is a natural cause, isn't it? I don't know. Now we're now we're. we're I'm, I mean, digressed. it was not a violent death. It was not a car crash. Yeah, it was not yeah, suicide. Yeah. It was. He died of an illness. Yes. Uh, maybe cancer is a disease. Is a not disease. An illness. Yeah. <laughs> we're freaking in the woods now. Yeah, we are. Uh, anyway, uh, before he died, there was uh, a minor scandal where he had a potential illicit texting relationship with a woman. I didn't know that mm-hmm. before he died. Before he died. I thought all of this was after he died. No, but it was before he died, but it was by a couple of years, and it ended with a out-of-court settlement that included a non-disclosure agreement with oh. uh, both Ravi and this woman. So it, it was shut down pretty quick, uh, and uh, it doesn't really matter what Ravi's side was, I guess. I mean, or maybe it does, because it's out of fairness. But he had claimed um, that it was a uh, blackmail kind of relationship, that she was obsessed mm. with him. But then supposedly there were emails that he had um, that he was actually obsessed with her and had claimed he would harm himself if she left him. Oh, wow. Anyway, so then after he died, more allegations come out about these um, uh, massage parlors that he had owned, uh, which sounds inherently kind of seedy, I guess. (laughs) It does in this country. In his country, it's not quite, I don't think. And it wasn't um, it wasn't clandestine you know it was he he had them on his like on on the uh, massage places websites it, sh- it listed his ministry as a benefactor he had business cards as part owner of these places he co-owned them with a, a good right, friend. so it's out in the open yeah it wasn't it wasn't necessarily uh, shady um but uh, multiple women um i think maybe half a dozen maybe more who worked at these parlors he would go in a few times a week and they all claimed that he you know exposed himself to them made unwanted sexual advances um, asked for sexual favors very, very repeatedly, uh, uh, multiple patterns of behavior. Women who high turnover rate, presumably because of the same thing, um, and uh, and really, really heartbreaking. And I know, judge a book by its cover kind of thing, Ravi, watching him speak, watching him behave, you don't expect it. it like you said, he really was a Billy Graham kind of figure. Mm-hmm. It was it was as um, 
unnerving to me as if a guy like Billy Graham had been. This rattled this you. Kind of Let's yeah. just say it what it is. I mean, yeah. this, this rattled you. Where And, you know, a guy, again, talk about judging. If a guy who's driving super nice cars, wearing super nice clothes, a young guy. Well, like these guys, you know, at Hillsong right now, there's a crisis there. Of yeah. These celebrity pastors who uh, are hip and cool and young and tatted and you know super into the clothes and the sneakers and you know it's all about me and this is kind of the antithesis of that ravi right. is uh you know very conservative clothing probably wears the same outfit at every event you know not well, not a clothes guy yeah his open and you know obviously he had other revenue streams but his open salary from uh ravi zacharias ministries was something like 300 grand which is a lots, big number but, a, but but not what a lot of these not what it could make, be not even close yeah and so uh so now just to hurry up and get to the point he um after his death uh the ministry to its credit hired uh, investigators to do a full deep dive and they found that in fact uh, there is plenty of credible reason to believe mm-hmm. that the accusations are true the ministry is compensating and helping the victims and the real heartbreaker is that the head of the ministry is his daughter. So she's having to shovel all of this yeah. after his death. And before the fact, when it was just this one woman, it's, you know, it really could have been anyone's. It, either way, it could have gone true when you only have one mm-hmm. accuser. You know, it kind of the more and more accusers you get, it's still innocent until proven guilty. But you start to see a pattern. Yeah. And so before this, it was like you said, it was this made uh, it, it jarred me. And especially after he died. It's almost worse because now it's like he can't explain himself exactly. or help you understand what how, was going how on. he was processing this. Yeah, so he died cherished, and now he's you know it's the it's it's whereas a guy like Bill Cosby, you know his he's living to see his day in prison, and yet he is still denied all of it. So even in that case, well, I mean, talk about a pattern. He's not he's not helping you uh, understand. Yeah. Um, so this so, is our our big dilemma yeah. is. How you know, man? If if guys like this are living a double life, is there hope for any of us? Yeah, that we truly can change and and um, be what you see is what you get, and be really healthy and whole. And where I mean, we did an episode really recently about the book. Um, help me out here by Jonathan Lund. Uh, the about covenantal theology. And we talked about oh yeah, anyway yeah we talked about how Jesus elevates the law in, in three mm-hmm. different ways, mm-hmm. and how um, we he doesn't actually even though he is our our living sacrifice he doesn't lower the bar for us he raises it mm-hmm. because we have this indwelling of the Spirit. So then you you know you start to think if we're supposed to if we are supposed to be superhumans with this kind of thing when it comes to obeying the will of God. Uh, you know, because of the indwelling of the spirit, then what the heck is going on? It doesn't look any different, I would say. Well, unless, for, let's, you know, back the camera up because, and I think where you're headed with that is like Old Testament people, King David, these other guys. Yeah, I'm saying if you, if you look at Pharisees and you look at us, there should be a big difference. There should be. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm sorry. I interrupted you there. You're right. And um, I think, you know, you look at statistics, all kinds of moral statistics mm-hmm. in our country. And there is no difference between Christians and non-Christians. Professing Christians. Yeah. Right. Um, there's no there's no categorical. Our divorce rates are the same. Um, I don't know about abortion rates, but I'm sure they're pushing similar. Hmm. Um, 
you know, we're we're not we're not crushing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rates and even stuff that's less um um morally cheating on taxes. Exactly. Yeah. Or debt or yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so the question is really kind of multifaceted, but um, should should there not be an expectation that uh, people who love God and who are truly in a relationship with God, occupied by the Holy Spirit, as the Bible <laughs> would describe, um, should they be performing better? And I wouldn't even, you know, there's the, the element that he was a spiritual leader. I think that's important in a lot of ways, but not in the way that... The question isn't how could a pastor do this. The right. question here is how could a, a follower of yeah. Jesus? How do could this? how could a a true God lover, Christ follower? Yeah, yeah, and and not how could they? I, we all know how they could because right. every one of us, no matter how mature our faith is, are capable of rapid deterioration. So mm-hmm. it's not to me how how could they. The the question to me is, is it possible that they wouldn't? Sure. Um, I I think, for example, every one of us, I think every human being on the planet has things we're ashamed of that Mm -hmm. we would love it if nobody else, nobody ever knew who doesn't already know. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't don't think there's any, we're not doing any, uh, hey, we should be Puritans perfect. Uh, The question is, this is a guy who defended the faith of Christ as beautifully as anybody I've ever known. I mean, C.S. Lewis kind of caliber Mm -hmm. of being able to help you really get your arms around the nature of God and um, the, the, the structure of Christianity and what it is to be with Jesus. And so um, was that real? Yeah. Was he, I had this vision, uh, this image in my head, John, when we were talking about this earlier, and it's like a balloon. You know, you get a balloon that's not full of air. It's just got air in it. Sure. And if you try to squeeze it. It just moves around. Something pops out. You know, a little piece will pop out between your fingers. You can't make the balloon smaller mm-hmm. because that air is going to find a way. And it feels like that's what human sin nature is. Mm. We squeeze it. We try to reduce it. But it's going to pop out somewhere. And so, um, you know, if you're if you battle addiction and you conquer this addiction, it tends to pop out somewhere else where you become obsessed with something else. Or and, you become uh, self-righteous. Then you, then you turn yeah. into maybe a, a Pharisee type of, yeah. type of hypocrite. Yeah, that, that, it, that it's like this balloon thing. I can't, why can't I shrink the balloon? Yeah. I think that's the question. Well, and for, for me, like I've, we've contextualized why this one is especially heartbreaking, but this, if he was the only one, I wouldn't necessarily be having a crisis right. like this. This is more, why is it so uh, widespread? common. Yeah. yeah. And even, not even national news cases. You've known, you've seen these cases very personally mm-hmm. through being a pastor. I want to know your opinion. Um, you could call this kind of the, uh, like in a relationship, how uh, positive moments have less impact and, and memory than negative moments. Mm. You need more positive moments than negative to have a healthy relationship. Yeah. And news, you know, is is this just we see the oddball cases, but they're frequent enough because the world's so big and we see so many of them that it seems like it's everybody when really it is an outlier. Is, the, is that possible? It is possible, especially when you think of Christian leaders. There are 40,000 churches in America. Jeez. And so there's 40,000 pastors and you hear mm-hmm. about a handful. And many. Know, 
Yeah, the Liberty University um, oh, president. My. He wasn't even technically a pastor, but that was a... And that guy's depraved. That was a nightmare. Yeah. So um, I, so let's clarify the conversation. Well, I mean... Oh, your, your specific question. Yeah, to that question, yeah. Um, I think that... Um, I I would say it's an outlier, except when I look at um, the moral statistics of our country. Gotcha. With those those statistics yes. we talked about, and when I see that um, as a group, Christ followers are not outperforming. Now you could argue, well, those aren't all Christ followers; those are self-professed Christians. Sure. And George Barna has been saying for decades, until pastors realize that eighty percent of the people in their pews are not Christians, they're going to keep you know missing the opportunity to make mm-hmm. the church what it needs to be so i would say not everybody who calls himself a christian jesus said this he even said you would prophesy in my name and cast out demons in my name and i will say i never knew you so um so yes i would have to say in that framework that these uh, it's hard for me to think of ravi in this way yeah but um but there are plenty of people who say i'm a i'm a christian who probably don't even know what that means, and um, that that um, that the real number of Christians at any church, yeah, is fewer than the ones who are showing up, and that if we were able to represent those guys statistically, it would look different. It might. I would yeah. certainly. I would certainly think so. Yes. Yeah. I would believe so. Okay, I'm with you. Yeah. So. I want to know what we want to talk about here, John, because this was your, you know, you really wanted <laughs> well, to have this conversation. We're talking about it. I know, but I'm, but I'm, I'm wanting to, I'm wanting to corral the conversation a little tighter. So, because uh, what I'm thinking is, is change really possible? And if so, how? Yeah. And well, for me, it's more, this seems like there's a disparity between what the Bible says is true and what I'm seeing in real life. That the Bible says that because of this miracle of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. these things are possible and should be the case. Right. And I don't see him. So so there's something, there's some reconciling that needs to, to happen. Here. Yeah. I totally, I totally understand that. And I, and we, we both have watched over the last year, um, high profile Christians walk away and say, I don't longer believe. And this is yeah. one of the reasons why is because they're having trouble finding authentic expressions of faith. And so much hypocrisy and double-mindedness in uh, supposedly mature Christians. Yeah. So I can't argue that, and I um, I'm disappointed by it. And um, I know as a pastor, I know lots of Jesus-loving, humble um, man. I'm here to serve the mission. It's not about me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know lots of those guys, and I know lots that are narcissistic, mm. egotistical, insecure, um, mean, self-absorbed. Sure, and it and it rots my gut. So, um, I mean, I, I, this is this is this is the way it's always been. Yeah. So I'm not tripped up so much that the world is full of authentics and phonies Hmm. or even uh you know phonies jesus said you'll have sheeps and wolves wolves and sheep clothing 
and that there will be wolves among you, like people who who are. Uh, they even talked in the New Testament about guys who would who would um, use the gospel as a way to make wealth or mm-hmm. to take advantage of weak-willed women. Um, so this has been going on forever. Sure. This, quite, didn't, this didn't catch the, the gospel by surprise. No. Or, or. But my question more is, or my 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 thing, my rub, yeah. is people who genuinely walk with Jesus. And, and still can't change. And still can't seem to conquer their demons. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think, so let me know if this is true. Uh, talking to you, well, I mean, for as long as I've been alive, but especially over the past couple of years, you've had some um, ups and downs in terms of optimism for our propensity to change. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this before, but it seems like you're on the upswing of that. I am. You're on the more positive end. I am. So what changed for your understanding between, I don't know how humans really can change to this is really possible. Well, that's a, this is now, this is my story. Um, that you're right. I have had, I've had ups and downs of optimism and pessimism about the Mm -hmm. capacity of human beings to actually change. Even if you love Jesus with all of your heart. And I've had low points where I thought, you know, that sarcastic, sarcastic, uh, mantra I have people change but not very much but not very much yeah and that is <clears throat> that is true however I at the low points I wondered if it was even possible is real change possible because I know in my own life you know the the personality quirks I have and the idiosyncrasies mm-hmm. I have and the the things that dog me uh, they're the same things that yeah. my whole life they're the same things and so you wonder you know am i ever going to be free of that paul said he had this thorn of the flesh that tormented him a messenger of satan that tormented me and he begged god to take it away and the answer was my strength is made perfect in your weakness so my grace is sufficient for you yeah and that is the answer for us in in these battles of our sin nature his grace is sufficient but but the reason i'm so optimistic right now is because I'm learning and practicing uh, the two-word phrase that I've fallen madly in love with in the Scriptures, in Christ. Hmm. And we're told that we can be participants in the divine nature. I love that phrase. And I'm learning that um, we're actually invited to be in Christ. I've been saying forever, you know, uh, Galatians 2.20, I want that to be you know, it's my life verse. Mm-hmm. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live not I, but Christ lives in me and the life I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And, uh, this in Christ that, that Christ living in me is a very real thing. Now, the thing that I think makes it so hard is, um, you have this core sense of self, this core way of navigating the world around you. Sure. That is hardwired into you before you have any conscious awareness of it. And it's so intuitive to you that you have to do a ton of dynamite blasting through the rock to really get to it. Mm. And so few people actually do that. Yeah. And I do think that God has the power to empower you to overcome. But some of that may feel like sin management, 
rather than real change until you blast the rock and get down to the real change. Yeah, and that's that kind of ties into um, to last week's about the uh, the human condition and yeah. and doing the work to get to your identity right beneath all that um, and your basic coping mechanisms. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, conflict aversion, um, man, just the way you see the world, the way you the way you think the world actually is, and some of that's accurate, and some of it's completely inaccurate, but it but it owns you. Yeah. Uh, I've got a few more questions. What do you say we do uh, your show and tell real quick? Okay. Commercial break. And then we'll uh, come back and wrap it up. Okay. I'd love to hear your questions. And, and I do uh, want to finish on the high note of this opportunity we have sure. to, to be in Christ. All right. So my show and tell is um, it's probably um, I'm going to say 10 inches tall and you know what? I'm going to say it's 13 inches tall and eight inches wide. Oh, okay. And it is a rectangle. And in that rectangle is actually, I'm just going to go ahead and say it because it's easier. I don't know how to describe it and get you to, should I try to get you to try to guess it? Like, like you don't even know. Go for it. I don't know this thing. Well, you, you might, I don't know. All right. Give me one more hint. Now I'm curious. Okay. It is a, it is a work of art. Oh, is this the uh, the little boy with the nails? The that one? No, I do love that one. This is the Ooh, prodigal that, son? No, I've already. I think I. I was wondering if I'd used the prodigal I think son. You, ha- you actually, I think you have done that painting. I love that painting. No, this also is a painting, but it was painted by someone I deeply, deeply love. Uh, your you sister, go for it. I give your up. sister Tina. Oh, okay. And so uh, I brought it in the room, the studio here, before you got here, so you so you wouldn't see it. Oh, yeah. But it is a uh, moonlight pair of owls on a tree branch. I remember when she did this. I love this uh, one. And there was a stretch where Tina got really into painting. She had a lot of, uh, basically a little studio in her house. And she painted this and gave it to me. And so I've had this in our bedroom for years now. It was hanging in our closet at the old house. Mm -hmm. Um, But I love this thing. And I thought I would. And so we'll take a picture of it. We'll put it on uh instagram mm-hmm. and it's a it's kind of a a winter tree branch with no leaves uh almost uh almost spooky maybe yeah kind of like some sleepy hollow ed growling pose there you style, go there you go of. and the sky is blue with some turquoise in there with this moon and in the in the moon is two owls side by side with their backs to you apparently i think you, wouldn't you think their backs are Yeah, you think because owls, their eyes are all big. You'd, you'd probably be able to see them. And, uh, yeah, I love this thing. It's very nice. Yeah. So we'll take a picture, put it on Instagram for you. There's my uh, show and tell. Awesome. All right, let's, uh, let's listen to our commercial break, and then we'll be right back to uh, wrap this thing up. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content, as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives, and who are joining Him on His mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com 
where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash Jim and John. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right. Welcome. Uh, welcome back. Thank you so much for listening. Absolutely. Uh, this is, I was going to say this is our first of the new year, but it's actually not. It's our second episode of the new year. Happy new year, everybody. Happy 2021. Yeah. Uh, we're really grateful for, uh, if you're listening. Yeah. Tell a friend. Yeah, please. Uh, okay. So I got a few more questions. Okay. Um, and these range from, this is more of the high profile stuff. So if you're wondering, man, if that guy's a phony, what the heck am I going to do? Like, I don't, right. if this if this is uh, uh, hurting your faith, or you know, so so we're going to bring it back around and talk more about personal transformation in the end. But this is more about the the seemingly systemic the problem pa- that we the have. epidemic, yeah, yeah, of of the epidemic this happening of, in, in of professional failure. ministry, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, could this be the you know Jesus talks so much about money? Uh, could this be about power and influence and how much that can corrupt somebody. So if you already have these struggles and then you get put in a place of influence and wealth, you know, is that just a near impossible situation? Is that what Jesus was talking about with the sell everything you own? Could that be part of what's going on here? Well, I think, um, I hope I answer your question. I think that, uh, ministry for one is very dangerous to your soul to be, to be a professional Christian. I mean, right there is an oxymoron Mm -hmm. and, um, it can be very, very dangerous. And so you stop navigating out of a pure love for Jesus and and obedience to his call to where it becomes about, uh, accolades or affirmation or drawing bigger crowds or growing money for the church or sure all kinds of things. So it's a very dangerous occupation. And I believe the enemy loves to destroy high-profile Christians hmm. because then, you know, Jesus said, strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. So um, he can knock out lots of people by hitting a high-profile guy. Yeah. So I think there's extra warfare on these guys as well. So uh, may God strengthen them and help them. Henry Nowen is a, a guy who was a Catholic priest. I really love, I can't recommend enough uh, his writings, 40 books he wrote, Um. And uh, he he uh, taught at Notre Dame, Harvard, and Yale. Whoa. This guy was a lecturer. He was yeah. he was amazing. Real simple love for Jesus. Uh, and he noticed that he was losing his soul. Hmm. Just from this from the success from tra- traveling and lecturing and being in demand, and um, he decided to go serve. Uh, disabled adults you talked about this with the brother lawrence or is yeah. that a different no there's different guy different guy brother lawrence went and lived among the monks but uh this guy henry now went and served disabled adults who had no idea who he was mm-hmm. and they were furious if he didn't show up with the soup on time and the soup was cold i mean <laughs> uh and he's a priest there he served the he served the residents and the and the uh staff and uh that's what he did until he died in 1989 dang but he talked about um, losing his soul. So you could call it to the weeds, you know, deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things oh, and the words sure, of the thorns choking out the. Yeah. Seed. So I, I think we live in a real minefield of opportunities to blow up. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's not surprising. 
it, it shouldn't be surprising when we have casualties because we're in a hazard-bound world. It's actually surprising when we don't. Sure. And those are the ones we should be studying, not the guys who failed. Let's study the guys who end well and what were their secrets. And I think there's a lot to be learned there. I don't, so I don't know if I answered your question. No, yeah. Okay. That's, yeah, that was great. Uh, and kind of, these are kind of sequential questions. Um, we assume America is all we know. You know, even even though you've traveled a bunch, this is really all we know thoroughly. Sure, is our culture. So when we we say Christianity looks like this, we really mean American, American Christianity. Christianity. Yeah. Uh, how much of this could specifically be a Western American Christianity problem? Where if you're if you're on the missions field, maybe you don't see this, and Christianity looks a heck of a lot different. You know, even um, uh, Francis Chan. He was basically my have next question. So this is all of them. Him going into the missions field. Right. We talked about this pretty extensively. Um, <clears throat> and you got to wonder how much of that was his frustration with Western Christianity. And he claimed, you know, what he claims that in these trips, he saw finally what it was really all about. He was seeing finally some. To be on the front edge frontier exactly. of Christian expansion. Exactly. Yeah. It's really, to boil it down, I ramble a lot. Uh, uh, is this a Western Christianity problem or is this a human Christian problem? I think it's a human Christian problem anywhere where Christianity is uh, publicly affirmed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly not hostile like China. You're not going to find this in China where you're going to die. You're going to be murdered for being a Christian. Right. Because what would you claim to be a Christian for in the first place? Right. Um, But for example, when, when you, if you, if you do a study on the 20 wealthiest pastors in the world, Mm -hmm. You'll be shocked. Uh, five or six, the top, like five or six of the top ten are in Nigeria. Really? Yeah. So this isn't just an American problem, but it sure. is. But it is. It is big and flashy and loud in America. Yeah. And so, uh, but I, I guess the assumption being looking around, being like, man, nobody's doing this right. Is could you could you bet on the fact that the loud cases? Again, kind of back to the negative loud voices, but could you bet on the fact that the gospel is moving in people really, really well and authentically in the way it says it does in the, in the scripture? Mm-hmm. Um, in America. In America and just places you don't see. One of my rules, you know, we did our rules for life or whatever. Yeah. One of those was that the world's bigger and you, you know much less of it than you think you do. Right. Just based off how much of the human race is on the internet and around the internet that you would actually see mm-hmm. is so small. Um. I guess is I'm I'm looking for for hope in cases that we don't see. I'm hoping for the benefit of the doubt. I guess. Yeah, I think that um, I'll say it this way: the number of faithful, God fearing, humble, healthy, wonderful people is way larger than the number of train wrecks. Hmm. I do believe that, and I think that they don't get press. Sure. Um, and they don't beat their own drum. Yeah, but here's the thing: uh, to be a human is to be a really messed up thing. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And so uh, you're it's an uphill climb, man. It's an uphill climb. It's a fight, and you got to want it, and you've got to um, hate your sin, and you got to love your Lord, and you got to crave Christ likeness, mm-hmm. and you have to train yourself to be godly. And um, this is not this this is. This is uh, like saying, I play really good golf. I should be a pro. 
Well, man, the difference between a pro and a really good golfer, the difference between a pro and a phenomenal golfer is still light years. Sure. So we're really talking about that. Um, I have asked the question this way. In a world, what is there, 7 billion people, 8 billion? Yeah, high sevens, I think. In a world of 7 plus billion people, why are there so few that inspire me? Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the way I pessimistically look at it sometimes. And the answer is because it's really freaking hard to be an amazing thing. It's hard to walk with Jesus. It's hard to crucify your flesh and let the spirit live in you. It shouldn't be hard. It's actually about ceasing, not striving. Mm. It's actually about surrender, not uh, willpower. Um, it's about, it's about uh, this is the cool thing to me. It's about living the crucifixion and the resurrection in the same space. So it's not power to overcome my weakness. It is power in my weakness. It is not life over death. It's life in my death. Yeah. And this is a profound thing that God does in us by his Holy Spirit. But you've got to hang in there and participate in that. That's not natural. That's why it's supernatural. Yeah. So then, and that was, uh, that's great, right back to how do I change? Yes. The swap of that question. Um, how do you reconcile that truth? I think people could just flat out from, from knowing themselves know that that is true, how hard that is, uh, with the, the truth also that we are born again and kind of the, the image a lot scripturally is not of one of, you know, um, hard, hard discipline. Mm -hmm. It's often uh, the miracle. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. How do you have both of those at the same time? Yeah. And this is, this is the beautiful, this is, this is why I'm at a peak of optimism right now Mm. because I have forever fought it like it's me uh, versus my sin or it's me versus evil. It's me versus my nature. It's me versus my flesh. And um, that's really a misunderstanding. And um, the reason I have optimism is because I'm learning this secret. Paul had this secret. He said, I don't even judge myself. <laughs> God judges me, but I don't judge myself. I, I have moved on. And there is there can be such a laser focus of just receiving absolute forgiveness and living in the pure joy of walking with Jesus brand new, forgiven. He means it when he says, my yoke is easy. Mm. My burden is light. And for those of us who are fighting so hard to be free from our sin natures, that is not easy and that is not light, which means we're doing it wrong. Well, we're, we're doing it old covenant way. The same guy, you know, Paul also says, I beat my body and I make it my slave yes. to the glory of God. How is, you know, so so there is work there though, isn't there? There is participation. That's what I would call it. Gotcha. There's participation. Um, I'm going to talk this Sunday at Evergreen, actually yesterday by the time this uh, <laughs> posts, uh, about the difference between training versus trying. Mm. And when I think what Paul talks about is training himself, uh, but not trying. Trying is discouraging. Sure. And so um, there is there is a secret of the easy yoke. Uh, anyone thirsty, come to me. 
from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You'll never thirst again, he told the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. There is a resource, a a living water, um, a light burden, an easy yoke, and we that's what we have to find. And is that, um, again, on practical terms, is that just going back to the Word? Is that is on, that active on, prayer life? On practical terms practical terms and i gotta i'm gonna just confess right here i don't know if i should say this or not as a pastor this is my constant tension Mm -hmm. because what i want to do on sundays is talk about this i want to talk about participating in christ i want to talk about uh, the filling of the holy spirit over your life i want to talk about second corinthians 3 18 as we behold as in a glass darkly Jesus glory we are transformed from glory to ever increasing glory this is a work of the spirit that we participate in it's it's profound spiritual truth but what I'm what I feel like the culture begs me to do is give you four tips to our better marriage uh, mm. three tips to cope with your stress sure um, five ways to come over overcome anxiety and just help you manage your sin better mm. uh, because these are difficult concepts and so I live in that little zone there i'm a little i'm a little frustrated there <laughs> sure <laughs> well the the maybe part of it is that you have a lot of good ideas often you're like let's do an episode about uh about uh, uh raising kids i'd be like what, am I, what the heck am i gonna say right <laughs> but you got a lot of good a lot of good uh uh help for that so i think it's and those are real problems yeah, you know and yeah. we live in these two things constantly where i need a short-term uh immediate help mm-hmm. um if I have explosive anger, I need a short-term way to diffuse my anger, but I also need a long-term path to healing from my anger. Mm-hmm. And that's true in our lives, too. I need an immediate help. Man, I am getting my butt kicked at work. I've buried myself financially. I don't understand money. So those are things need to be talked about for the short-term, immediate pain relief and resolution. But we need a long-term answer, which is to be constantly walking with and pursuing um, intimacy with God, participation in the nature of Jesus. This is a real promise. Yeah. And it is, uh, it requires slowing life down, turning mm-hmm. off the TV, stop streaming Netflix. I don't mean eliminate them, but it requires, um, you can't microwave that. Sure. And we want to microwave it. When you were talking, it reminded me, and this would be probably my takeaway, uh, talking earlier about the benefit of the doubt and just kind of this system. Uh, I think it is rare that you would hear about the people doing this because they're basically explicitly told not to go about telling people how great you're, you know, like the Pharisee, uh, right. uh, uh, praying loud on the corner, right. acting all sorrowful when they fast. You're not supposed to be loud about this. And it reminded me of uh, C.S. Lewis in... I think the great divorce, one of his uh, nonfiction books, but he's talking about heaven and, uh, and it is his idea of heaven. You could call that fiction. I, I sure. wouldn't, it's more, it's more him imagining. And, uh, he sees this, um, uh, lady, like a Lord and lady style lady, like a, a, a celebrated woman. And she's, she's like something like six feet tall, got gold, uh, clothes and a long, uh, veil. It's being carried by like angels oh, wow. glowing. And he says, you know, who is that? Right. And he said, you know, is that, is that Mary? Is that like the, the mother of Jesus? And, uh, and the answer is no, it was just a, a woman who no one had ever 
heard of. She uh, had no kids, but she uh, um, fostered a bunch and gave as much as she could to help people around her and was just on fire for God. But no one you would ever know of unless you lived in her, you know, in her oikos, basically. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, that's speculative, that image, but I think the truth is obviously there. That that I do too. That, and I, I have, I have believed forever that when we get to heaven, the hall of fame will be people no one's ever heard of. Right. They have labored in obscurity, served God faithfully and radically served probably very ugly, nasty, dangerous people. And I mean, that's not even... I'm, we're talking like it's an aha, but that's front and center. The first shall be last. That's just kingdom kind of. It's the rules of the kingdom, I guess, is how you could say it. That's, I agree. It's just kind of how it goes. Yeah. Well, man, I hope this has been helpful. I don't know that we made a ton of progress, but it, I think it does help to process what in the world's going on here. Yeah. And, I mean, at the end of the day, Ravi isn't the Messiah. Right. Even guys who who are champions of the faith, like a Billy Graham, who yeah. still not much dirt on him. Um, even if we did find stuff on him, it wouldn't be, this isn't what makes or breaks the, the faith. It's just challenging. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. is. But we're very grateful for you guys listening. Love to hear from you. Uh, you can email us at info at Jim and com. No H in the John. We'd love uh, listener feedback. Uh, we got some over the la- after the last episode. Love to hear some more. Very grateful. For uh, that, yeah. yeah. And if you have uh, topics you want to us to address, we would love to uh, have listener um, listener prescribed episodes. Yeah, that would be great. Awesome. Thank you guys a ton. We will see you next week. Thank you.